Welcome to Conscious Curiosity San Diego, the podcast that provides the backstory of local successful San Diego leaders who bring hope, inspiration, and purpose to the work they do and the people they lead. Conscious Curiosity is sponsored by Conscious Capitalism San Diego, and I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership. Conscious Capitalism calls for a different type of leadership, a leader that seeks a higher purpose for business beyond profit that positively impacts all stakeholders employees, vendors, and the community they work in. We will explore why they have come to lead in this way, the rewards and challenges of being a conscious leader, and their vision for the future for their businesses and the community of San Diego. There are a handful of products and services that everyone around the world interfaces with, things like food, paying taxes, and certainly since Adam and Eve discovered they were naked, clothes literally have touched all of our lives. Now, there are clothes that solve Adam and Eve's problem, but there's also clothes that are designed to make a statement. Brands that you can wear that say something about who you are. And that's why I'm so excited for today's guest here on Conscious Curiosity. In the studio, we have Laura Hall, past president of Polo Ralph Lawrence Accessories. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. I am so happy to be here. So Laura is a global executive in the area of fashion and retail consumer goods who is currently a partner with a consulting firm called Wise Partners, that's W-H-Y-Z, who advises large retailers to utilize a more purposeful, driven thinking process and specifically how to address the millennial and GZ consumers. Laura is also a huge advocate of conscious capitalism and is the author of the ABCs of Conscious Capitalism for Kids, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Laura, what an amazing career. So, like, when I think of high fashion, I think of things like Paris, New York. It creates images of uh, beautiful and exotic models on runways. I think of people jet-setting in. I mean, wow, what is the backstory? I mean, how did you end up in the role that you ended up in? I don't have a long time, so let me see if I can condense this. But thank you, and you're right. Um, there's no business like the fashion business. I love it. I am very proud to have been in the fashion industry or the business of fashion for over three decades. Fashion is extraordinary because we do all have to wake up in the morning and figure out what we're going to put on every day, our clothing, our accessories, so it's important. For me, I got into fashion by accident. A long time ago in the dark ages, I got my degree from university in political science. I thought I was going to change the world or save the world. Then I decided maybe I wasn't because I worked for a political candidate for a year on a campaign, and that was a rude awakening. Uh, So then I decided I couldn't change the world, but I was going to change my world. So I went back to school to get my master's. While I was doing that, I took a part-time job in a department store. I was hooked. I had no idea. Never worked in retail, never worked in business my whole life. So I loved it. It used my left and my right brain skills. I had fun. I met people. And after a few months, they made me the assistant department manager of designer sportswear. Oh, my God. It was extraordinarily fabulous. Uh, And I was still in graduate school. But that's when I touched and felt and saw what beautiful crafted, well-designed clothes and fabrics and textiles and all of those kind of things actually could do and could do to you when you put them on or when you felt that makes you feel good. Um, So I was addicted. I I 
subsequently uh, was offered a role in their training program when I got my master. So I went into retail. I loved it. I have, ooh, I've lived in lots of wonderful cities. I've met lots of great people, some glamorous people. Yes, I've, I've been to runway shows, Jeff, and it is phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> when, but, do I, when do I get there go? <laughs> well, if you play your cards right, Jeff, perhaps. <laughs> you know somebody. <laughs> well, you know, I could make that work for you. But it is. It is a wonderful industry, but it's changed. I, I should point out that clearly uh, what fashion looks like today is very different than what it looked like when I started out, and I uh, came up against some real realizations. Uh, first, when I worked for Burberry in London, I began to realize that we were coming up against finite resources, and things could not continue the way they were because we were all dealing with issues in the fashion industry that needed to be changed. The fashion industry is my industry. I love it, but it's also a dirty industry. In fact, uh, depending on who you speak to, the fashion industry is the second dirtiest industry on our planet after oil. So I want to continue to help brands make beautiful clothes and accessories, but to do it um, so that what we make and we sell and we wear is sustainable and socially responsible. Obviously, you got to the, the very highest levels of uh, the retail business, uh, Ralph Lauren, um, what, what were kind of the defining moments in your career, you know, that, that really kind of jettisoned you from here to here or some decisions you had to make along the way that maybe seemed a little scary at the time, but you took them and, you know, all obviously worked out. But I kind of believe that saying about, you know, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And I did have some opportunistic moments in my career, but I was prepared for them, I think. And I tried and worked very hard. One of my um, talents uh, was pointed out to me by the uh, president of a department store uh, when I had gotten promoted several times and I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. Um, this man um, is one of my heroes, or he's a great legend in the fashion industry, and he told me one day, he said, you know, Laura, you're one of the, those people that kind of makes, can make numbers sound glamorous and sexy too. And I would say that was a compliment for me. I am a merchant. I, I believe in fashion, but fashion is a business. So I think maybe one of the things I've always been good at is making those numbers uh, work. Uh, because any business, the fashion business is no different. It has to be profitable or it won't succeed. Right. So often we think about the fashion piece, right, and all this. But in the end of the day, we all got to make money. So your uniqueness really was this uh, business mind. But you could, you, know, you could bring business to lots of things, right? Anywhere you have the business piece. But it's the idea where you could merge this with this thing you have passion around. True. Yeah. Passion's part of it. If I have to give advice, and I do get often asked by young millennials and Gen Z, you know, what should I do? Um I think you have to first uh, find where you're passionate, you know, find what you love. Um, <clears throat> and in the fashion industry, there are lots of different areas that young people can um, go into. It's not just about designing the clothes or selling the clothes. Uh, we have a whole group of 
product development people, supply chain people, marketing. Fashion is a fabulous business because it is so visual and it is exciting. And um, you, d- you do get to kind of marry art and commerce. Well, I think that's one of the things that people kind of forget, right? I mean, every business will have its accounting. Every business has got product development, right? I mean, if you look at the functional aspect of businesses, you have to have all those things. They all have to be firing, you know, like a, like a good engine to be able to be successful in the world, which I think is sort of interesting because I think something, oh, I got to go, I, I want to go do this kind of work. And it's based on fashion or food or whatever. You're, so that's kind of cool to, to ha- get to do something along those lines. But the reality is that knowing your functional job and where you fit best within that organization, I think really defines how much you enjoy, how well you can actually do your job, if you can really get those things all lined up. That's true. I would say that um, fashion is one of those places uh, where you can really pursue a career. You can work and earn money and uh, create something that um, makes a difference Uh, And I think now, oh, my heavens, when I started, fashion had a whole level of, you know, the way it worked and the way um, the fashion industry told the customer what to buy. Today, oh, my heavens, we have changed. The paradigm has shifted. And in case you don't know, um, the customer now tells us in the fashion industry what they want. Uh, when they want it, how much they want to pay, uh, and especially young uh, fashion consumers want uh, brands that are real and authentic and that have values. So for me, that's why the whole idea of being a great but good socially responsible fashion brand is exciting. And technology, our ability to communicate with each other now uh, through technology and social media, uh, all over the world uh, in, in like real time makes everything different. So we are using technology and fashion today that I would not have even thought it was possible. 3D printing for, for fashion is now possible. On-demand production is now possible. So fashion is, is part of technology's future as well. So kind of interesting, you were, you were you know, high up in the, in the senior leadership side of things. So uh, as that transition, so how was that like maybe 10 years ago, five years ago? I mean, when, when did you really start to see that big movement? I think I began to be aware of it um, probably a decade ago. About yes. Decade, so about 10 years ago. So how, 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 from a management perspective, right, you start to see something's happening, right? And it's way easier to keep doing what we've been doing. How do you, how do you start to make that shift? How do, I mean, how do you stay ahead of the curve? You know, that there's the competitive side, right? I mean, what, how do you start to change an organization? It's like, we've got to be moving in a different direction. I mean, how, how do you go about doing that? It's not easy, but I think that leadership of any company and a fashion brand, you know, the leaders are going to decide and make decisions about how they're going to keep up. Fashion, perhaps, I will say, ironically, may have been more prepared for it because fashion built in is all about change. Every season, there's a new line, there's a new show, there's a new collection to get ready for. So we kind of in the fashion industry are built for change. But uh, that kind of technology change and that um, 
the way that we communicate and reach the customer now has, has really forced it to accelerate. I think if you are a successful fashion brand today, in fact, I know it because our clients and other fashion brands, if you're successful in fashion right now, probably your number one strategy is how to get closer to your customer. It is how to connect with uh, your customer or the consumer so that you can convert them to a customer. The customer is in the seat driver's seat right now. Gotta love that. So customers, it's up to you. Yeah, you're in charge. Absolutely. You don't like the length of jackets? Ban something different. That is so true. And on social media, let me add, if you like something a company's doing, you can celebrate it. But we're finding out the flip side, especially the past 18 months with what we've all been through. And a lot more people have purchased online because, you know, we weren't able to go into brick and mortar stores. I do believe brick and mortar stores will always be around, but I think it's important, that balance. And I think it's now uh, possible for the consumer to vote. And if they don't like what a company's doing and they put it out on social media, that company sees the immediate impact to their business. I know I've experienced that myself. Uh, not me so much. My wife will actually post something sometimes where you're trying to get something solved. And the minute you post it, they actually respond. Where prior to that, they wouldn't you know, take your phone call. That is so true. So, yes. uh, so I have a fun question to ask you here. Ooh, I love fun <laughs> questions. Okay, Jeff. So again, back to this idea of the fashion industry and all the wild things that might go on. What's like if you were sitting around having a cocktail with some friends, what's, tell us a kind of really good story, that uh, little backstory. Like you wouldn't believe this story. And especially if it kind of led to like, now we have to make some, take some actions, right, from a leadership perspective. You got anything like that? You just go, yeah, here's a crazy one, Jeff. Never would have thought this would have happened on my watch. Well, I have a lot of stories, probably. <laughs> some of them probably not really appropriate, but uh, someday, you never know. Ralph Lauren uh, is an amazing human being. I was so fortunate to be able to work for the company Ralph Lauren, but Ralph Lauren is a man as well as a company. Let me just say that getting ready for a Ralph Lauren runway show is a hoot on so many levels, but Ralph loves uh, to conceptualize the next collection or the runway show as a movie. Love movies and you love cinema. And you, the next time you see, if you'd like to take a look at a Ralph Lauren runway show, you're going to begin to see the themes. He's done many themes. Uh, one runway show I remember was out from out of Africa. Uh, he's influenced by, um, well, go back a long time, uh, Mr. Lauren started uh, a long time ago. His first uh, successful product was a tie. He sold Bloomingdale's. And um, if you remember the movie Annie Hall, I'm, no, I'm not related at all. Uh, it's <laughs> fictional. However, I loved Annie Hall. And all the clothes for that movie were done by Ralph Lauren. So it's exciting because you do get to see where what clothes do and how they're made and who they're on and what kind of events happen matter. Most glamorous moment was in Paris when I was a young buyer. I got to attend the only time they had what they called the fashion Oscars at uh, Place d'Opera in Paris. It was fabulous and all the famous designers came down the aisle with their muses. And probably my favorite, this was a while back, um, Audrey Hepburn 
came down with Hubert Givenchy. You began to get the idea of glamour. It was glamorous. It really was. And I would still say there's still so many wonderful ways to bring, you know, your personal style, your glamour to fashion. Just do it in a way that's um, 21st century because we do now have so many cool tech things we can do too. Virgil Abloh at Louis Vuitton. He's a young black designer. He's incredible. The kind of graphic design now, it, it really is a moment where art and commerce meet fashion. We're, we're at a turning point, but I am personally optimistic about how fashion's going to turn out. So nice lead in. Let's talk about conscious capitalism a little bit. You are a big advocate doing big things here in San Diego as we're trying to make San Diego the top <laughs> conscious uh, business uh, arena. So how did you, all of a sudden, how did this show up in your life? I mean, uh, we always talk about people always kind of have a conscious way anyways, but maybe they didn't put words to it. But obviously, you're on fire, written a book about it. So what, what, what's that story? How did that come to be? Well, again, I kind of stumbled onto conscious capitalism. A few years ago, I was standing in line at a Whole Foods store. And if you're in line at Whole Foods, you've got those magazines on either side of you that you have to look at because there's nothing else to do. So I saw this magazine while I was waiting in line called Conscious Company Magazine. I never heard of it. I picked it up because one of my fashion heroes, Eileen Fisher, who is, if you don't know, Eileen Fisher, the fashion brand is fabulous. And Eileen was on the cover of this magazine. So I'm like, okay, I bought it, took it home, read it, and realized, wow, there's this new movement called conscious capitalism. So then I bought the book Conscious Capitalism by John Mackey and Raj Sisodia, and I read the book. And I realized, wow, there are a lot of people like me, a lot of business leaders who are really identifying with these tenants and this way to do business. And uh, you'll probably hear if you haven't, uh, sometimes if you get into the conscious capitalism movement, that a lot of us are unconscious, conscious capitalists, because we were doing it, but we didn't know. Then, in 2017, I attended my first Conscious Capitalism CEO Summit. It, um, it was a strategic moment for me because I felt like I met my tribe, my community. It was like coming home. That seems to be a very common comment, right? I found my people. That is, that is true. And, you know, in bu business is big and it's can be so many things. And I do believe, I mean, I'm a capitalist. I believe in business. But I think that we really, really do need to improve on the way capitalism is, is done now. And so for that reason, uh, it makes sense to me. It is an actually pragmatic and good decision. I believe doing good is actually good business. So it's not just about kumbaya capitalism. This conscious capitalism is proving that you can be profitable and have a higher sense of purpose. Right, right. So that's a great lead into this question I want to ask you. See if we, let's do a little work here. You up for that? I'm ready to work. I've rolled up my <laughs> Right out of your industry. I saw an article in the San Diego Tribune, uh, September 9th, and the title is Bill Focuses on Wage, wage Theft in State Garment Industry. And it's uh, about the, there's some legislation apparently coming through California. And 
just let me just kind of read the first paragraph here. The garment industry relies on a complex web of contractors and manufacturers to deliver apparel to the fashion brands. It is set up that lower costs, but also ones that allow fashion brands to escape the scrutiny, for instances of wage theft and poor working conditions among suppliers. So they have this bill uh, that they're passing that we're going to start to pass back to the, the higher level brands that when these third parties are paying half the wage, minimum wage, and poor working conditions, that's going to come back on, on the industry leaders. And so this is causing quite the stir because the, the brands are saying, well, we don't really control the vendors. Um, they're kind of go doing their own thing. We're just, you know, writing a check and writing the order. So I think this is like one of those places where conscious capitalism and the profit-driven side of things all sort of come together and say, how's this supposed to work? So on one hand, it's great to have a conversation. So yeah, humanity, and I want my people to be treated well and all these kinds of good stuff. And then on the other side, all of a sudden, but I can't be competitive unless I'm kind of following the standards of the industry. So this isn't China. This isn't, you know, the stories. Are, this is right here in California. And, of course, people are saying, well, the minute you pass this, guess what? We're going to pack up our stuff and we're going to go take us somewhere else. So it's kind of a negative negative, right? Like we're not going to, it's not going to help the thing. And actually we're going to lose jobs. So what, what do we do? So now we got this big conflict between we want to do the right thing for sure. We want to see people have good living wages and all that. And at the same time, we got this big competitive piece. So what, what, what are your, what's your initial thoughts about that? I mean, what, you know, this is right out of your industry. So what do you, what do you think? What would you be saying to, you know, a client or just saying, I'm faced with this issue? Well, I actually, we at Wise Partners, we actually have one client right now that is based in Los Angeles and has um, certainly uh, been affected or aware of this. A fashion brand uh, does, is responsible for its vendors. So I don't agree in, in terms of we just pay our vendors and they do what they want. Uh, I don't believe that's true for any industry, by the way, but fashion especially. Um, I believe that um, as we come to grips with our finite resources and the impact of what we're doing in all businesses, especially fashion on our planet, to our people, to other human beings on the planet, that we have to all begin to realize that we are connected, interconnected. So we, got, we sort of have to begin to talk about it really honestly, Jeff. And I would say that um, I believe that uh, we are what we wear, uh, we are what we buy, uh, and we are definitely what we don't buy. And it's now time, and fashion brands who are trying to make a difference realize that it's time for us to step up and to say that if you're going to buy a T-shirt for $10, you, you need to think about it. If a t-shirt costs $10, think about how much the people who made it got paid. Think about the fabric. There is a connected dotted line between consumers and what they buy in fashion. So um, I personally, I, I, am, I don't believe in blaming, and I try to celebrate good brands, but as a category of fashion, I will tell you that fast fashion is our nemesis. My friend, Martin Cooper, who is a fashion designer who I had the privilege of speaking with last week, said, you're right, Laura, fast fashion is like crack. So it is 
incumbent on all of us, consumers especially, to begin to realize that, you know, you get what you pay for and that um, I personally believe in buying fewer but better things. So, yes, it, it is important. California, by the way, is leading, not following many times. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to all sit at the table together and decide how we're going to work this out. The truth is that as Americans, very, very small percent today is still made in the United States. So the honest truth about this legislation in California is that in terms of, in terms of how many brands it's going to actually impact, it's very small. Mm. But you can see how those th- things come together. Later in the article, it's kind of an interesting part because there's something like 160 uh, brands, smaller brands, they say, that are actually promoting this and saying this is a good idea. But they're also, I think, trying to do a good education of saying, we do charge more money. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you the whole story, kind of to your point. You know, like, sure, you can go buy that $10 T-shirt, but do you know what you're doing? You know, how do you want to play the game, Mr. Consumer, right? So, uh, yes. it's, so it seems like there's almost an onus of uh, the businesses to educate. Like, we can give you a super cheap product, but do you want to participate in that? (laughs) That's precisely right. And you have just said something very, very astute and accurate and something that the fashion industry is now committed to doing. Uh, The Council of Fashion Designers of America, uh, I'm one of their mentors on their board. So the CFDA, uh, the fashion industry, uh, we are committed to spending our energies, money, time, educating the consumer. I think it makes a difference. And I don't believe it's the consumer's fault. We just haven't given them the right information. You can make something beautiful and still make it good for the planet and cross the board, right? I mean, that's, that's the reality. Yes, yeah. it is possible. So a little, little shift here back to like pure conscious capitalism. I'm ready. All right. You wrote a book. I did. And not just any book. <laughs> a no, children's book. <laughs> I, I wrote a children's book. So, I mean, go figure. I mean, we're talking about conscious capitalism. You're trying to grab 10-year-olds and go, come on, let's, let's get started earlier. So, what, what was the genesis of that? I mean, how, how did it end up being a, uh, a children's book? And it's a great quick read, by the way. I, I read it. And, uh, yeah, share a little bit about the, the background of that. In addition to being um, a fashion business woman or just a woman in business, I'm also uh, a mother. I'm also a grandmother. That grandmother thing um, really, for me, was a uh, strategic moment as well because now I realize I've got more generations uh, of family who look to me for guidance and and who I want to um, influence, and I want them to grow up with an idea that business is is good. there's a quote by Melinda Gates, She's, and it's in my book, and she said, if you're successful, it's because somewhere, sometime, someone gave you an idea that put you in the right path and on the right direction. For me, I wrote this book mostly as a legacy of love for my grandchildren, but I do believe, by the way, uh, that children are stakeholders. Conscious capitalism has these four tenets, and one of them is is about stakeholder integration, and that stakeholder capitalism is conscious capitalism. That business used to be all about, you know, the only reason for business to exist is to make a profit for its shareholders. Oh, my God, that's wrong. 
So stakeholders are lots of different people and our communities and our planet, by the way. My grandchildren are stakeholders. Children are stakeholders. So I wrote this book so that it can uh, give children a reason and an early primer on how to get into business, but do business in a way that uh, makes a difference. The tagline for the book is create a business, make money, change the world. It's possible. So, uh, you know, the other, you were laughing before we started the interview and uh, we were saying, you know, I sat down, I was able to read this and it's based on the ABCs. So you have uh, a word for each of the, each of the letters in the alphabet. And uh, I said, wow, you can sit down and get the full breadth of what conscious capitalism is by reading this versus sitting and reading the 500-page book that Mackie wrote. (laughs) I highly recommend this version if you're like me, a little ADD. I do have a question for you, a little 80-20 rule. Okay. So give me your two top letters in the words and why out of all those, you would say those are are two words I really kind of grasp onto when I think about conscious capitalism. I've got my two. I I was wondering what yours were. Purposeful profit. Because it's what I do now. Uh, I, I believe in being profitable, but I don't think you can help people or the planet if you're a brand, a company, a business, unless you're profitable. So it's where successful brands, uh, for me, are where uh, profit meets purpose. Which should be no surprise, because when we started this interview, that's exactly what you said. I'm all about the fashion, and all of a sudden I go, wait, I'm all about the numbers. How do I merge these two together? So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not surprised. You are so <laughs> astute there, Jeff. So mine was J, which was a joyful job, because one of my missions in life is to make work meaningful. I just think it's an atrocity that... 70 plus people percent of the population goes to work and they just don't find meaning at work. So I'm totally on board with the joyful jobs. Like let's, let's get, let's make work exciting. Let's make I agree. it fun. Let's make it something where I feel like I'm doing something worthwhile here. No, you're right. And joyful jobs, uh, the quote from joyful jobs, J the letter J is from again, my hero, Eileen Fisher. So she, um, she has walked the talk for a very long time in my industry. So I believe it. I actually agree with you. And I want my grandchildren. That's You're right. I want them to want to love uh, their job and to work. We all need to work. You know, maybe not always for just um, compensation, you know, or financial compensation. Because there are other ways to really get satisfaction out of your job. So you're right, Jeff. Having a joyful job is a wonderful and actually rare um Thing right now unfortunately, unfortunately unfortunately so we need to change that i actually heard something the other day that said finding a job that you really have passion about is the best gift that you can give yourself oh that and i like the idea of give yourself true. which means go find it no, one, you, no one's going to come hand you this perfect job you have to go out and seek this out figure out who you are where do i best fit back to should i be in accounting should i be in design where where do i fit in the world so question about the future what, what are you seeing? What are you thinking uh, when you're out talking to the, the younger generations? What, what dream? What are you creating for these folks? Ooh, good question, because um, I talk a lot now to young people. A new world that we may not know all about yet, but uh, I think we're beginning to get a sense of what a socially just, sustainable 
you know, future can look like for all of us, for business, and I do believe business is going to play a major role. Here's an interesting statistic. When you just asked me that question, what I thought of is that uh, this is a data point that blew me away recently. The job that uh, many Gen Z young people are going to have doesn't even exist yet. That's how fast technology and our world and um, science and, and everything. We are moving at warp speed now. And, and so we've all got to figure out how to operate. We need, I believe, uh, a new human operating system. And that's partly why I also believe that conscious capitalism or stakeholder capitalism or caring capitalism can be part of the solution. Yeah, that's a great answer. I mean, things are happening so fast. I mean, I, I think beyond what we can even imagine. And what does that mean? What's that going to look like? And who do we got to be? How do we got to show up? And as leaders, that's our job, right? We're supposed to be looking out front a little bit here and going, okay, we're, I think we're going this way and adjust accordingly. So good, good stuff. Well, you know, time flies. And <laughs> here we are. I got to start to kind of wind things down a little bit. What's, uh, maybe I didn't ask the right question, whatever, but what's the big thought you would like to leave with folks coming out of this podcast? I'd like to leave everyone with perhaps maybe give you all the three pieces of advice that my partners and I give every client as we are beginning to work with them. And we're going to get that for free? You're going to get it for free, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, listen Drum up. roll. Da -dun, da -dun. Well, uh, they're not so hard to predict, but they're important to state. The first one, just start somewhere. If you don't know what to do or which thing to tackle in your business or your life, just start anywhere. Start somewhere. Maybe pick a place that you care about more or something you're passionate about, but just start somewhere. The second one is progress over perfection. Uh, I hate the word perfection. First of all, it's a myth. And don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. We have had clients who said, have said, oh, no, 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 I can't launch my website yet. It's not perfect. Uh, no, we can't launch that new item or that new collection because I haven't figured everything out. If you wait until you think it's perfect, you will never do it. So please, just start and progress over perfection. The last one, this is my advice listening. Listening is, in my opinion, the most underrated skill business leaders have. I believe um, if you are a good listener, it is going to make so much difference, but you have to work at it. I'm reminded, okay, we have this famous quote that we talk about. We have two ears and a mouth for a reason. The reason is we need to listen twice as much as we speak. That's hard, but I'm trying. But listening is really important, and I can say that to all of you young people out there. It's going to be important in your career. It's going to be important in anything you do. Practice active listening. That's good advice. Really good advice. Anything you got going on here in San Diego? You've got the book. Uh, I'm assuming you can get this on Amazon, uh, all your normal locations. Anything you, else you want to promote? I know you're on some other podcasts and that. Uh, where, where can we find Laura Hall? Uh, what, what's, what's the scoop? Well, thank you. Uh, first of all, I'm really happy that I am now a permanent San Diego resident. Uh, 
full disclosure, prior to the pandemic, I was spending about a third of my time here in San Diego and two thirds of my time in New York City. I am now a fully committed San Diego resident. And let me just tell you, I am committed to conscious capitalism and our chapter here growing and becoming known all over the country, the world, um, as a, a place where committed, conscious business leaders live and thrive and create a real sense of community. I love San Diego. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. Ah, Laura, thank you. Yes, we have a great opportunity here in San Diego, our little island of San Diego, right, that we could be the place. So this is a movement. Well, Laura, I want to thank you for taking the time to come to the show today to share your amazing experience, insights, and wisdom for all the work you're doing, you know, with Wise Partners and here at Conscious Capitalism here in San Diego. And uh, again, just thank you for taking the time. So that's our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please hit the like button and please subscribe. It's the best way you can help us continue to get the word out about Conscious Capitalism movement here in San Diego. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton, saying in the meantime... Go do what you do. Go do what you do best because we're all counting on you.